Hello, I'm John Ellis. Welcome to episode 54 of Petodri PS, the predominantly Dons-based podcast featuring not just the Dons' first team, but a look across the age groups and genders at the club. And we focus on the respective progress of Cove and Peterhead too, as well as the Northeast local representatives in the Highland League and juniors. And not just football, but any sport making headlines in the Northeast of Scotland. They're featuring someone from the Northeast of Scotland. Joining me for this journey, as always, Dick McDermott and Andrew Shiny. So here we are recording this episode in the morning of Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, reviewing our matches against Motherwell and Partick Thistle and previewing the league game on Saturday away to Rangers. Plus all the action from the under-18s and women's teams and we're across the country and down the leagues for a look at the rest of the Northeast as well. But first, the game most recent in our minds Saturday afternoon at Fir Park. Would ensuring a return to Hamden earlier in the same week embolden the Dons to improve upon their Jekyll and Hyde performances to date in the league campaign? Motherwell, bear in mind, the only team so far to beat Aberdeen at Petaudry this season. Which way would it go? Well, you know by now, it finished 2-1 for the Dons with goals from Miofsky and Duke. Your thoughts, Andrew? It was a long old afternoon, I have to say. Um, I was down at Fir Park for the game, primarily to check out um, how Motherwell handled VAR because of course that made its debut in Scottish football this weekend but uh, I was a little bit apprehensive going into the game because the second half against Partick Thistle wasn't great until Ryan Duncan put the game to bed with that fantastic goal which nobody can say wasn't Ryan Duncan's goal after remember his first one uh, against Livingston the cross that went in and I think Matty Kennedy's still claiming that he got a ghost touch on it but I was a little bit apprehensive but the all those fears gone within the space of four minutes when Aberdeen took the lead. Superb goal from uh, Miofsky, brilliantly finished. Nice through ball from Connor Barden, perfectly weighted for him. And then, of course, we saw the offside flag went up. And we thought, well, it didn't look offside. But fortunately, you now do have VAR. So they were able to review it and it was comfortably onside. I think there was two defenders playing him onside. Then Duke has the ball in the back of the net. Celebrations are a little bit more muted this time because they're almost waiting for the flag to go up. Sure enough, it did. This time it was proved correct that Duke had gone just slightly early to get in the end of uh, the cross from Liam Scales. Thereafter, I thought Aberdeen were fairly comfortable, apart from that incident in the first half where... Anthony Stewart shepherding the ball back to Kelarus and somehow or other the goalkeeper manages to spill the ball into the path of who else but Kevin Van Veen, who on this occasion fortunately shot wide of an open goal. In the second half, and you expected Motherwell to come and have a right go, which they did, without creating anything clear-cut until really out of the blue they got their equaliser in 55 minutes. A good finish from McKinstry, but again, Aberdeen will be looking at the defensive aspect of that goal and saying we could have shut down the throw-in earlier and maybe Ross McCrory could have got tighter to McKinstry before he got his shot away. Anyhow, it's 1-1. Then Van Veen has another golden opportunity, you know, six yards out, almost in the middle of the goals, hits it straight to the goalkeeper, almost the same as Alex Cochran had done in the Hearts game a week past Sunday. And then we get the, the winner, Jack McKenzie, who had Ventured forwards, not too often. He'd gone forward, cut inside, had a shot with his right foot, albeit it was off target. Next time he goes forward, he goes round the outside of Paul McGinn, fires in a great cross, and Duke, 
who is becoming a really, really valuable player for Aberdeen now, scores with a fantastic header. And then after it, it was it was a bit nervy, um, particularly in the, the dying seconds of the game, um, because there was fully six minutes of stoppage time at the end. Ball's getting thrown into the box. Of course, the Motherwell crowd are shouting and screaming for everything. And you are kind of wondering with VAR, is there any, you know, basis for all the, the screams for penalties and such like? Is there going to be a review? It turned out there, there were no reviews, but there could have been a possible review for Anthony Stewart when he went up with Ricky Lamy and you could see there was a tug in the shirt. But I think the referee was probably of the opinion that that had been going on all game and he hadn't picked up on anything there. So just left it. Um, final whistle goes. Aberdeen are celebrating. Alan Burrows, the Motherwell chief exec, is running around going daft, going about, pay a hundred grand for this system and they don't even bother to review things in the last minute. What's going on here? What a waste of money this is, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, once the dust had settled, a good three points for Aberdeen. Just on the on the subject of VAR, Andrew, I mean, they allow what is it, thirty seconds per substitute? Is there an is there an allotted time for for VAR being used, or is the ref just supposed to add it on for for each occasion, or what what's the, the situation there? I believe that the referee is advised by the VAR centre how much time should be added on for VAR reviews. So there are actually two lots of stoppage time that get added together and then the referee goes, right, okay, they've told me three minutes. I think I would have been giving three minutes for the substitutions. I will call it five minutes. Uh, And then (laughs) something happens in the five minutes and another minute gets added on. So I think we saw at Ibrox, um, there was seven minutes stoppage time. I think we're going to have to get used to the fact that games are not going to finish before five o'clock. And... If you're trying to catch a last bus home uh, after an evening game, if your bus goes away after about quarter past ten, you're struggling. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, if anything in the past, Dave, where, where we've come a cropper to Motherwell, it's usually because we've been bullied out of the game and, and lost the physical battle. Not this time. No, it wasn't. It was uh, good to see. And uh, defensively, we were a lot, uh, a lot better. Still not, obviously, 100%. The Motherwell goal being the example uh, that Andrew mentioned, but uh, no, it was uh, uh, Van Veen was pretty ineffective. I thought Anthony Stewart had one of his better games again, which was good. And uh, no, certainly physically, he did not. Well, lost my voice. Did not overpower me. Uh, over overpower us. Uh, so, uh, which was obviously good to see. Hmm. Do we think Jim Goodwin's found a settled formation now, Andrew? One where he can sort of alter one or two personnel, but broadly speaking, keep the same shape. Yes and no. I think it, it gives him an alternative that he can use depending on the circumstances of the game. Uh, I think the three at the back seems to be working quite well because you are still seeing Ross McCrory making these powerful runs forward. Um, so we're not completely taking Ross out of that midfield equation. And I think Ilber Ramadani has really stepped up in the last few games and he's... He's really doing a fantastic job in, in the middle of the park. A lot of the dirty work that goes unseen is getting done by Ramadani. Connor Barden is still to get fully up to speed. Leighton Clarkson likewise. So, yeah, I think it's an alternative for the manager. One of the things that um, has really impressed me about those three wins in six days was the fact that we managed to achieve them without the services of Johnny Hayes. Mm. Because I must admit, when we saw the team line come in for the Hearts game, 
No, Johnny Hayes in it, and you're thinking, oh no, we're going to struggle here because Johnny has been such an influence. Um, it's almost like having an extra player when you've got Johnny in the in the team because he'll be bombing down the left-hand side and then something will break down and who pops up in the right-back position to clear it but the same Johnny Hayes. So that's been encouraging to see that others have stepped up to the plate. I mentioned Jack McKenzie. He came in against Hearts. He did okay. He dropped out of the game. Uh, the, the team for the Partick Thistle game, Hayden Coulson, came in, had a fantastic first half, set up Duke's first goal. It was his ball into the box that caused the pinball that ended up in Kevin Holt putting through his own goal. And then, okay, it was a big deflection and Coulson shot, but it was going in anyhow to make it 3-0 and put the game to bed before half time. But he was missing because of family reasons on Saturday. So, you know, there's there's been a, a wee bit of chopping and changing of the team, not just in terms of, of um, the formation, but in terms of the personnel. And it's all good. It's been a very, very good week for Aberdeen. Beating Hearts, then getting through to the semi-final against Rangers by beating Partick Thistle and then going down to Motherwell and getting that monkey off their backs that they can't win away from home. They showed they can. Now they've got to try and kick on from that. It's going to be difficult this coming week, but maybe it's the right time to be going to Ibrox. Absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned Johnny Hayes there. Um, what I'm wondering, Dave, is Johnny Hayes, Andrew Singh, is, is almost like worth a second player uh, in the team and, and is so useful and pops up everywhere. I wonder if we're actually less predictable to play when Johnny Hayes isn't in the team in the same way that, you know, when Scott Brown was there, you always knew that the ball was going to go to Scott Brown and then he'd try and do something with it. Are we less predictable, do you think, when, when Johnny's not in the team? Possibly, but I don't think that's a reason not to include Johnny if he's fit and able mm. to play. I think he, he, he will still be one of the first names on the on the score sheet. Andrew mentioned Ramadani. It reminds me a bit like Billy Stark when he was playing. He did all, a lot of the unsung work, the, the work that goes unnoticed, and all that Ramadani needs to do is add the goals at Billy Stark. And, it, you know, Andrew, you... You'll remember Billy Stark was not the most popular amongst the majority of fans, I would suggest. But no, what he, a job he did. It wasn't until his perm started scoring all those goals. <laughs> it did a phenomenal job, Billy Stark. I mean, I think he scored his 50th goal in his 100th appearance for Aberdeen. And this was a guy that didn't take the penalties or set any of the set plays, didn't take the free kicks. You know, so if Ilber Ramadani can produce even half that number of goals for Aberdeen, um, it would be superb. But he, he's he's turning out to be a, such an influential player, as is Duke going forward. I mean, Duke is just going from strength to strength. Mm. The Motherwell defence were terrified of him every time he got onto the ball. He fancies himself in a foot race against anybody, um, but he's he's got that low centre of gravity. Yeah. Um, he's, he looks... He almost looks unfit because he's a squat kind of figure. But Not as getting... unfit as he looked when he came first time, though. No, no. I mean, <laughs> he, he, I think by everyone's admission, he wasn't up to speed. But now that he's getting into a position where they can trust him to, to start a game, mm. OK, he hasn't finished a lot of games, but that's been the story of his career. But he certainly knows how to find a goal. And that's such an important commodity in the modern game. Well, Jim was saying after the match on Saturday, he's fit enough to start a game now, and he's not that far enough, uh, not that far off from from finishing a ninety. So, fingers crossed that uh, Kirky can get him up to speed to see the way through an entire game. Good to see Mioski back in the score sheet as well after a leaner spell up front, Dave. Yeah, and I think you mentioned Johnny Hayes being 
a, a definite if he's fit. I think uh, Jim Goodwin is now very tempted to include Miofsky and Duke together because they're showing great signs of uh, a really positive and uh, worthwhile pa- partnership up front. Uh, so it was a brilliant goal. It would have been an absolute travesty had VAR not been there, you know, which is every game in the, in our history until Saturday because it was clearly onside and, uh, you know, it would have been another uh, conspiracy theorist amongst the Aberdeen fans uh, against the officials. But uh, no, it was a brilliant, brilliant finish and uh, great to see him scoring again from open play. And, uh, you know, he, he's, you know, Apart from Kolach, he's say, now right up there in terms of the top of the scoring charts. And uh, Lomi Lakati, you could easily finish as the league's top scorer. Did you see, Dave, the, the pictures side by side? Sam Cosgrove's chip at Fir Park and Boyan Miofsky's one. You'll remember the Sam yeah. Cosgrove one. That was the day that we had Greg Lee and Zach Viner in central midfield. And they were brilliant, mm-hmm. weren't they? Yeah, yeah. It was a top of makeshift teams. That was almost in echoes of Steve Patterson at Parkhead many years ago, that team down there. But yeah, no, it was a, a brilliant goal from Sam. Just thinking, thinking of a name for the partnership up front, uh, if if uh, Miofsky keeps winning penalties, we could have Duck and Dive. <laughs> um, Duke continues to impress Andrew. We, we haven't made mention of this in a while. The, the recruitment department had been criticised in the past, but more recently... They've been identifying and bringing in targets a lot more successfully while continuing that pathway for younger stars to emerge through the ranks. Probably deserves an acknowledgement, at least at this stage now. Totally. I mean, you know, we're sitting third on the table. We're in a, a League Cup semi-final down at Hamden. Yes, there have been one or two bumps in the road. Um, Tannadice will always be thrown up um, uh, as, you know, one of these major bumps in the road. But uh, I think... The feel-good factor that has been regenerated by this week's results is in no small way down to the work of the recruitment team. I think, uh, you know, we've highlighted the two up top, Duke and Miofsky, both very good signings, 16 goals between them already this season. Ramadani, excellent. Liam Scales and Anthony Stewart, a developing partnership there. Kelarus um, has had his moments, good and bad, but I think he is a good goalkeeper. It was encouraging to see him come for more crosses on Saturday there, uh, because you know that Motherwell are going to throw a lot of balls into the box. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think there have been any real failures. You could still do with a little bit more end product from Jaden Richardson. I think now that he's been freed a little to be a, a wing back as opposed to an out and out full back, you're seeing more from uh, Jaden Richardson certainly in terms of going forward. And he's got lightning pace. There's no getting away from that. But just now and again, just take that second, that split second even, to think, is it better to have a shot than try and pick out a teammate? Or just take a little bit more care with picking out a teammate with a cross. It'll come. Um, He's still very young in football terms. But uh, yeah, it's been good. And as you say, it hasn't blocked the pathway for the likes of Connor Barden, for Ryan Duncan, for Jack McKenzie, for Jack Milne to get some game time. But yeah, the signs are looking good. Let's not get carried away. It's just been a good week. It could all go horribly wrong at Ibrox on Saturday and would be sitting here next week going, oh my God, it's all doom and gloom again. Like the manager now knows, 
He said, Aberdeen's a very emotional city. We get very high when we win games. Yeah. And it's the end of the world if we lose a game. So it's keeping things in a, a relatively even keel. But let's enjoy the successes while, while they're coming in. Yeah, still time. You mentioned this, Dave. Um, still time for a, a few scares along the way defensively in this game as well. Is that is that something we'll iron out over time or just have to learn to live with, do you think? Hopefully it'll iron out over time. But there'll always be defensive lapses um, from time to time. But uh, if we can cut them down to being few and far between, then that'll be a big improvement in what it's been so far this season. Yeah, and it all bodes relatively well for the next game away to Rangers. A good time to get them, Andrew? I would suggest it's probably the best thing you could possibly get them. I really cannot see them coming away from Naples with anything other than a severe doing because Napoli are brilliant this season. Rangers are so far off the pace at the moment. They had to go to, and deep into stoppage time to get an equaliser against Livingston, despite the fact that Livingston played the last 15 minutes or so of the game uh, with only 10 men. Things are not going the way the Rangers fans want. They're up in arms about Giovanni van Bronckhorst. Obviously, Stephen Jarrod having been sacked by Aston Villa. There's talk of him coming back in. I'm not sure that I can see that happening, to be perfectly honest. I think it would cost Rangers a lot of money, first of all, to get rid of Van Bronckhurst and then to attract Gerrard back again. But Rangers at Ibrox are always a very, very difficult opponent. So Aberdeen have got to be absolutely at their best to get anything out of the game. I think they're capable of scoring, but as we've mentioned, there are still deficiencies defensively that cannot rear their ugly heads too often on Saturday. Otherwise, it could be a chastening defeat. But Aberdeen are in a much better place going into this game than Rangers are. And as I say, Wednesday night could be a very chastening experience for Rangers. I mean, they've already had a few in the, the Champions League. And I think Wednesday is just going to be another one. So it's how they react to that. But it'll still be mighty difficult for Aberdeen. Um, in terms of Rangers, just for a second, Dave, Giovanni Van Bronco's coat must be on a sugary peg, as they say. Um, would the Napoli defeat that most are expecting be enough to shake it free altogether, or would a, a bad result against the Dons possibly finish him off? I think if Rangers were to lose heavily, which there's every likelihood against Napoli, and then lose on Sunday... I wouldn't be too surprised to see uh, Gio away, but uh, you know, and I'd be perfectly happy for that to happen uh, particularly, uh, for Saturday, Saturday. Sorry, but uh, it's a different way. I think the manner of the defeat or the the game, the manner they play tomorrow night in Italy is going to be interesting. And uh, but the fans are not happy, not happy at all with the way they're playing. And we talk about our defensive frailties, Rangers at the back with loss of goals and etc. And they're very capable of making plenty errors uh, in that in that back area. So, but no, I think uh, you know we're we're only obviously interested in what happens at Pataudry and what happens with Aberdeen. But uh, I do think it would be very difficult for the fans to allow Van Bronckhurst to survive if were there two defeats this uh, this week before before uh, Saturday five o'clock. Okay, uh, time for a score predictor then. Rangers versus Aberdeen. Dave? Well, <laughs> how many times have we gone into games against Rangers? It's a great time to get them and we've been <laughs> absolutely 
thumped. Um, but heart, head, head, heart. I'm going to say one in the Labradine. Andrew. I fancy the Dons as well. I I just have a little sneaking suspicion that um, we're going to win this one. So seeing as Dave has taken the 1-0, obviously I'll have to go for the 2-1. And if we do score two, here's a wee stat for you. Oh, here we go. The second goal would be Aberdeen's 500th SPFL Premiership goal. Oh, wow. And it will be scored by Duke. There you are. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm going to say two nil, but I do agree with you that I think probably we'll need a we'll need two goals in order to win it or to just hang on to that uh, that sort of cushion, if you like. But VAR Aber- is in there that will no. stop John Beaton giving dodgy penalties. Maybe. But, hang on, is maybe it John? Not. Wait a minute, is I don't it- know. I don't know who the referee <laughs> is, John. But, um, I'm just surmising that John Beaton hasn't been seen around an Aberdeen game for a while, and it must be just about his turn yet again, to do an Aberdeen Rangers game at Ibrox. Well, just on the subject of VAR, and not looking at any official at all, as I understand it, the official in question can look at VAR, take it all in, be recommended something, but still decide to go with their own belief rather rather than what VAR is telling them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yep. and in the end of the day, it is the referee's decision which is final not the video assistant referee. The video assistant referee's job is to highlight to the referee any clear and obvious errors, Mm. um, as well as checking goals for offside and fouls in the build-up, as we saw in the St. Mirren United game. But uh, no, it still comes down to the referees. So even if the... You know, it's so blatantly obvious that Rangers have not won a penalty. Um, and everybody's telling whoever the referee is, and he goes, nah, it's, this is Ibrox. They're a goal behind. They need it. Penalty to Rangers. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm being facetious here. Um, but uh, that is the, the scenario. The, the referee is the final arbiter. And do we at any point see or hear a, a transcript or a, you know a, a oh, video, a video of, of <laughs> well, you know, I mean, all the conversations tele- are recorded. They're televising court cases now. I just wonder if perhaps we might move on to that at some point. Where... Yeah, and how long? How long have court cases been going on? <laughs> I mean, many many years. It'll be a damn sight longer before the SFA allow transcripts or recordings of referees. These conversations to come out. It was merely a question, Andrew, and and, and not a point that I'll be raising any episode five thousand four hundred and fifty-two. I believe is going to be covering that. <laughs> not a point that I'll be raising at any stage in the future. Uh, okay, on to Aberdeen women now. Finding SWPL one a lot tougher this season compared to last. This weekend coming a big one for them as they play the only team below them in the division. A win vital, uh, you'd imagine, to management team Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath. This week past though. Before that game against Glasgow women at Pataudry, the Dons had an opportunity to gain some ground if they could take something from a home match against fellow strugglers Hibbs at Balmoor. Unfortunately, Hibbs proved to be just too good in the night. Bailey Hutchison equalising an earlier Ailey Adams opener for the visitors. Leah Eddy adding two more for Hibbs later in the game with the Dons having Ailey, Stone, uh, Ailey Shore at red carded as well. Hibbs moving up to fifth with that win, the Dons remaining 11th. 
with that game against Glasgow Women becoming increasingly important, David. It might be a catalyst for their season, it might not, but hugely important to put some points between them and bottom. Absolutely, and the fact that Sat Patoji should uh, inspire the, the Aberdeen girls, you would hope, and uh, no, it's a, a must-win game, simple as that, otherwise they really are in the mire in terms of the division, but uh, get a, a win, who knows what that may, may lead to going forward, but uh, first and foremost, they need to get that three points in front of what will hopefully be a decent crowd at Petordia on Sunday. On to the under-18s, who haven't lost a match since August. Three wins and two draws since that stage, the most recent of which uh, came against Celtic last time out at Cormac Park, where it finished 3-3. Uh, in their most recent match since it was a trip to the Highlands to face Ross County in the Scottish Youth Cup. No hat-tricks for Alfie Bavage this time, only because he didn't play. But there was a hat-trick hero for the Dons. Tell us more about that one, Andrew. Yeah, it finished 5-1 to Aberdeen against Ross County. Uh, 1-1 at half-time, but Aberdeen came into their own in the second half. And the hat-trick hero this time was Liam Harvey, who got his second treble of the season. So that's six hat-tricks now in 11 games, I think it is, for, for We're Aberdeen. We're balls for the under <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's another house that's going to need an extension for trophy cabinet of hat-trick balls. But, this um, is our ball wing, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Dylan Lobin got his first goal of the season. An outstanding effort from the edge of the box, I'm led to believe. And uh, Finlay Marshall weighed in with a, a goal as well. So uh, a good result for, for the Young Dons. And I just got the, the league table through for the under-18 league and Aberdeen currently sitting second in the table on goal difference, just behind Hamilton Ackes, who, you'll recall, beat the Dons 6-2, which was their last defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they play Hamilton in two weeks' time, I believe. So that'll be an absolute cracker out at Cormac Park. But Aberdeen far and away the top goal scorers in that league, 35 goals in nine games. And next up for the young boys, it's a trip down to Edinburgh to play Hearts at Orium. Hearts not having a good season there, currently sitting second bottom of the table with only five points from nine games. So they're never easy to play against, but uh, Aberdeen beat them 4-0 earlier on in the season. And they... I would fancy them to, to get the points on the roads on Friday once again. And I wonder if it might be worth a sniff around Hamilton Aki's uh, younger players again, because so far as uh, history books go, signing 16-year-olds from Hamilton Aki's haven't gone badly for us in the past. I can think of one that I was in touch with to congratulate him on scoring his yeah. first goal for Bologna at the weekend. Yeah, Fergie didn't do too badly for us, did he? And made the club a fair bit of money into the yeah. the bargain. Um, but yeah, Hamilton have got a terrific record of, of producing young players. Unfortunately for them, they don't seem to manage to translate them into a really strong first team. But there's there's a few of the, the Hamilton young boys have, have had first team experience. And they, once again, they're defying the odds. They're winning games that nobody expected them to win. Because it is a hand-to-mouth existence almost for Hamilton Ackes at all levels, but um, they have this very happy knack of being able to unearth gems. Every now and again, they manage to sell one on for big bucks and and keep the place with the lights on. Uh, but uh, yeah, the Aberdeen youngsters going very well, but um, that game, as I say, in a couple of weeks' time against Hamilton, that will be a, a real tester for them. And we'll look out for it here. Uh, into the Championship and Cove Rangers, I think we're about to mention Hamilton again in a second, actually. Last time, uh, they were taught a harsh lesson by visitors Inverness Cove with the bulk of possession in the match, despite a few clear-cut chances on either side. 
the Highlanders doing just enough to grind out their 1-0 victory. Saturday past Cove were trying to improve in a fairly dismal away record this campaign. Just one point to show for their five away matches so far. Their problem's not dissimilar to the Dons. At the weekend, they faced the tough task of trying to improve that record at third-placed Air United. It finished 2-2. Cove twice coming from behind to equalise. A hard-fought point, David allowing them to pull away from that relegation zone with a more than reasonable chance to improve upon that next week against rock bottom Hamilton. They do need to start winning away from home, as well as obviously making sure that Balmoral becomes more of a fortress. But uh, Hamilton, I mean, they're they're bottom, but they showed midweek last week by winning at Inverness that uh, they're not to be trifled with. So, But, you know, Cove will go in confident for that when it was a good fighting 2-2 2-2 draw at the weekend. Good to see Connor Scully on the score sheet again, although it was a slightly less flamboyant uh, effort than we've been used to from Connor this this season. But uh, they're they're starting to show a wee bit of form. Open day, as I say, once they get that first victory away from home, I'm sure they'll they'll get up that table. Uh, good to see that uh, uh, yep, ex Don Michael Virton is back playing for Hamilton again after being out injured for a lengthy period. Um, but hopefully Miko won't be on the winning side on Saturday. Cool's next match on Saturday when they're on the road again, this time, as you say, to face Hamilton. Peter Head next, rock bottom of League One, barely looking like they could buy a win right now, despite needing points, but just occasionally pulling a result out of the bag when they're least expected to, usually against opposition that's flying at the time. Middling Aloha weren't that when they arrived at Balmoor, but then I suppose every other team appears like they're flying to Peter Head supporters right now. Either way, Peter Head falling to a 2-0 loss on this occasion, and the remain... Uh, at the foot of the table, two points behind their nearest rivals. That's possibly the only encouraging aspect here, Andrew. Clyde aren't tearing away from them. If they somehow stay in their sights, which relies on Clyde's continuing poor form as well as their own, Peter Head might, at some stage, manage to find a vein of form to at least give them a chance of making that playoff position. It's been a miserable season for Peter Head. There's no getting away from it. Only one win in 17 games. We did think at the start of October when they got that 2-2 draw down at East End Park against Dunfermline that that could be the springboard that they needed. Unfortunately, since then, four successive defeats. No goals scored in these four games. And uh, you know they've now got a run of really difficult games coming up. And I'm sure they were probably looking at yesterday's Scottish Cup draw saying, give us something that, that we can, you know, get... A, Put the thoughts of, of league football to one side and we can maybe go in just a wee bit of a cup run. Maybe, you never know. Um, get into the fourth round, draw a premiership side away from home, get a nice big paycheck. Who did they get? Queen's Park, who have just beaten Partick Thistle 4-0 and a team that is really going well. So, you know, there's, there's nothing that seems to be going right for Peterhead. They've just got to dig deep and, you know, as you say... Clyde's form is the only sort of shining light at the end of the long dark tunnel that they're trying to get themselves out of at the moment because Clyde are in the same sort of rut that Peter Head are in. Um, but it's it's not till the 17th of December that the two sides meet. So between now and then, Peter Head have got to try and pull a few rabbits out of the hat and hope that Clyde don't find any sort of form. Otherwise, you know, come the turn of the year, they could be all but doomed. Mm. Don't like talking in this way about one of our local sides, but that's the reality, sadly. And it's so difficult when you're 
you're not winning, when you're not scoring goals. I'll bet it's a case that every mistake is being punished. I feel a wee bit for Tom Ritchie, the young Aberdeen goalkeeper who's on loan up at Peterhead. Tom will be looking at it from a positive side. I'm getting games, and that's so important at that stage in his career. And getting but lots of work it, to do, Andrew. Well, he's, he'll be getting plenty of work, I'm quite sure, but it must be a bit demoralising when you're in a team that is getting beaten every week. Mm. But uh, Jim McAnally has been the course so many times that if there was one guy you want to have in charge of you, one guy in the trenches alongside you at a time like this, it's probably Jim. Um, but the longer this run goes on, the more difficult it's going to be to get out of it. Yeah, and he'll have identified this other possible shaft of light, Andrew, which is that if their match against Clyde is on December 17th, it may get snowed off and they'll possibly get a couple of players (laughs) in the January window (laughs) for the rescheduled fixture. Peter Head's next match still at Balmour when they meet even more frightening opposition in the form of second-placed FC Edinburgh. For the Highland teams, a mixed weekend. Some league action, others involved in the second round of the Scottish Cup. Let's go with those results first. Brecon City 2, Stirling Albion 2. Albion won 8-7 on penalties. Bucky Thistle 1, Broomhill 3. Carnoustie Panmuir 1 for Martin United 2. Dunapace 5, Tariff United 2. Fraserburgh 2, Stranraer 1. And Wick Academy 2, Bember nil. So for Martin, Fraserburgh and Wick Academy, the only Highland League teams to progress to the third round. I'm not sure whether Fraserburgh v Stranraer or Wick v Bember qualifies as one of the uh, journeys of the round, but I'm pretty certain one of them does. By the way, I know it's Andrew's desire to see teams that he's never clapped eyes on before for novelty's sake ends at the point where it makes it a trip to Wick to see Bember. You could have flown from Aberdeen, Andrew, this year's European adventure. Excuse me, I've been to Wick um, <laughs> and I've also been at Benburb. Oh dear me. St Mirren Reserves played at Benburg against Aberdeen Reserves a few years back. Uh, Joe Lewis played in that game, coming back wow. from injury. So it must have been just after Scott McKenna scored that 45-yard oh, against, against, against Kilmarnock. Yeah. But yeah, I've been to Wick. That box has been well and truly ticked, <laughs> never to be repeated. <laughs> uh, in, the, uh, in the league matches, Brora Rangers 4, Forest Mechanics 1. Devonville 3, Clach 3. Inverurie Locos 3, Lossiemouth 2. Nairn County 4, Strasbury Thistle 2. Rothis 3, Keith nil. And in the table, that means, well, not an awful lot. Most of the leading teams were far enough ahead for it not to count too much. Brora do edge into second place, though, on goal difference, but having played a game more than Bucky, both teams on 28 points, Brecon remain top on 31. In the juniors, Dave? The Scottish Junior Cup second round, a game that was delayed because uh, Troon were involved in a protest of the original of the round before, so that eventually got played on Saturday. And unfortunately for Fraserburgh United, it finished 4 0 for the home side at Portland Park in the Premier League at the weekend. And on Friday night, it was Dice 1, Hermes 2. And then Saturday results Bridget on Thistle 0, Cooter 3, Colony Park 0, Montrose Rose Lee 2, uh, Dufftown 1, Mod 2, Ellen 4, Stonywood Parkville 0, Nairnstonian 1, East End 5, Stonehaven 2, Bankry St. Ternan 1 in the Championship. Bank City went down 3-1 at Buckinghaven Hearts. Sunnybank leaders drew 1-1 with Newmarket United, um, which means that Sunnybank are still clear at the top of the Championship. Rothy Rovers still right on the shoulder of the, the pace setters because they won 7-0 at New Elgin. 
This Saturday, the main focus is on the third round of the Scottish Junior Cup, last 32. East Craigie from Dundee against Ellen United. East End against Newmarket United at New Africa Sparks, so it will definitely be a local side in the last 16. And at Glenury Park, it will be quite a noisy affair for Stonehaven against the Rocks. So the Rocks have a very vociferous travelling support, and uh, usually there's plenty of flares and other stuff that I'm sure the police in Stonehaven will be really looking forward to. But um, those the, the games in the Cup this weekend, so we've got four, team, uh, four teams left in the Premier League. Kutra against Dice is a standout. That's Crombie Park. Kutra, of course, still with maximum points, looking to continue that to make it nine wins out of nine. Yeah, imagine that, you know, letting off a flare at the football and having get having to get community uh, service come back and use the fireballs at, uh, at New Year. Uh, in the <laughs> World Cycling and Paracycling Championships, local success there as well, Andrew. Many congratulations to Neil Fahey, uh, who with his pilot Matt Rotherham won the 1,000 metre time trial and the men's tandem sprint. That's now 16 world titles that Neil Fahey has got. So we're changing um, his Twitter is... bio as we speak. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, and also, Cumminson's Nia Evans. She won the women's points race, plus to get silver in the team pursuit. So good to see that... Um, they're flying the Northeast flag proudly in world championships and picking up gold medals. Well done. And that is pretty much it for episode 54 of Pitodry PS. We aim to publish every week on a Tuesday if we can. I was looking back to the Don's previous fixtures and ahead to the next. Please remember to follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review us, tell us what you think of the show as well. We'd be very grateful. Thanks for checking out Pitodry PS. We'll see you next time.